0: And so I actually ended up dropping out of high school not once, but twice. I never graduated. And while all my friends were off to college, I was living with my parents, gaining up to 16 hours a day in their basement. I remember I was, I was drunk when they handed me my son in the hospital. They didn't know I was drunk. I worked with people who could stay abstinent from crack cocaine. And then they went back to prison because they could not stay abstinent from marijuana.
1: They will send inappropriate pictures, primarily of their body parts. Our teens will send back their naked pictures or partially naked pictures.
0: I had overdosed in eighth grade. I think that was shortly after I was suspended.
1: Our teens are going through their hardest life transition in a world of rapid change and information anarchy. These are their stories and the advice from experts dedicated to helping them. Welcome to Beyond Risk and back. I put up a post on our Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center Facebook page uh, the other day and uh, got quite a response. First thing I saw, it has almost 300 shares. Um, second thing I saw was, was people's different reaction. Now what the post was, was the picture of a leg or of an arm of a person who has been self-harming and it's pretty scarred over. I've seen worse, but it's a pretty bad one. And some people were triggered. Some people were very grateful that the picture was going up. Some people said some pretty outrageous things. Um, and as some people were responding, this woman began to respond, Um, and really used the picture as an opportunity to reflect to Facebook land that um, she had cut when she was younger. And now she's got kids, and she talked about why. And I wanted to bring her on the air because this one's hard for parents. This this self-harming piece is a really tough one. Now I want to say out front that when we were, my wife and I were starting to run the treatment center and we started to get requests to work with kids who were self-harming, we did a lot of research and a lot of study. And one of the things that I did is contacted every psychiatrist or psychologist or counselor that I knew or specialized in addiction. And I said, what's the difference between cutting and addiction? And not one of them said that there was any difference. And that's all fine and dandy hearing the people who've been studying it say that that's what's going on. But I wanna talk to the people who have dealt with it and, and done it and have recovered from it or haven't. And so this has gotten me to start a series called Cutting Free. And to start this series, I want parents, teachers, and clinicians to hear from a survivor. This is beyond risk and back. Welcome to Cutting Free, and my guest today is Krista. Krista, thank you so much for being here. I'm very impressed. I'm glad you agreed to do this, but more so, I'm impressed that uh, you said yes. We've never met. We've chatted back and forth on Facebook a bunch, but here you are, and I really, really appreciate your courage to come on here.
0: Yeah, thank you for allowing me to speak my story. I appreciate it. Of course,
1: of course. I, th- th- these these stories, we forget when we're in recovery, that these stories help other people recover. My first time going to a 12-step meeting, someone else told a story that was essentially my story. And it made me realize that I wasn't alone. And that's the gift that you're giving to parents and children who are still dealing with or harming themselves. And uh, so it's important. So again, thank you. And you've got some kiddos in the background. So um, yeah, how old are your kids?
0: Uh, they're six and, three and a half. Two boys,
1: two boys. Yeah. You're in for it. You've probably already it's been, a <laughs> <You're> probably already <laughs> been dealing with it. Um, so I, if the questions get too much to talk about in front of the boys, please just indicate so and I'll, I'll switch gears um, because they don't have school today. You got them at home. Right. Okay. Krista, let's just start with you telling your story. How, when did you start self-harming? What did you do? Why did you do it? And how did it end up?
0: Um, to be honest with you, I don't think I could pinpoint a time in my life where I actually started. Um, I think I became aware of doing it um, maybe at the age of 9 or 10. Um, and it was little things to start with. You know, I'd, I'd hit my head on the wall. I would tie a string around my finger really tight. Um, and then it became progressively, uh, it progressed into into cutting and um, burning and that sort of thing. Um, and I continued, continued with that and hit it. Um, pretty well, actually, until I was in, into my, my mid-teens.
1: Did you reveal it to someone, or did someone catch you?
0: I, I was pulled out of my home when I was 15, um, and upon that, they do a physical exam, and that's when they noticed that there was something going on. I imagine that was um, pretty I did stressful. not tell anybody. Yeah, it was. it was my secret. It was my comfort. It belonged to me. Um, to have to share that with somebody at the time was is, was very challenging.
1: You know, you bring up right out of the gate, one of the biggest things that we see people respond with um, when they're dealing with cutters, self-harmers, is this, you're doing it for attention. Now, uh, that doesn't seem to me to be true. Is Is it true? Did you do it for attention? You said you've been hiding it.
0: I, I did not. I think that in some situations, people get to a point where they want to seek attention for help, um, but not attention to ease their own self-esteem or to, um, to do anything for gratification through somebody else. I think in that situation, and when people do it visibly, you know, they want people to know that they're hurting. And in my situation, I didn't want anybody to know how I felt because I myself could not understand it, and, uh, nor did I feel anybody else needed to.
1: So now you've brought up the second conundrum. Is that you know they want people to know that they're hurting, and it seems to me that cutting yourself hurts. Is that not accurate?
0: No, for me, for me it was more of a trance state. Um, I was a, a safety pin or a paper uh, clip cutter. Um, I did experiment with other things, but that was the choice of of how I I would do it. Um, but it would it would make a trance. You know, I would I would begin to do it, and then it just became a motion like um, you know winging, winging your arm or. Or rocking back and forth, it was soothing. Um, but no, very, very rarely, rarely did I ever feel pain from it—a um, physical pain. I felt more of an emotional relief. So, if that
1: didn't hurt, what was hurting that you were seeking relief through cutting?
0: I think it was was feeling of isolation, um, some of the abuse that I had gone through, and not understanding it. And I think more so not understanding myself. Um, I had these feelings inside of me, and I, I couldn't control them. I did not understand them. Um, I basically didn't want um, to burden anybody, and I didn't know how to ask for help because I didn't want that.
1: Now, you said you you had started very, very young. Um, like, you couldn't remember what you couldn't pinpoint in actual time. Do you remember hurting before that? Like, like is do, do the pain memories, the physical, the abuse, did that stuff start while you were an infant in utero? Like, was, was it that?
0: You know, honestly, I couldn't tell you. I remember my first um, poor decision, if you will, when I was um, maybe five or six, where I would do things to hurt myself. Um, it progressed into um, suicidal isolation and that type of thing. But when it comes to the self-harm, I, you know, I I, I didn't quite find anything that was working um, as a child. And I, I don't know how to explain Um, how I went about finding a method that made me feel better. At that time, it was more seeking, like, you know, you would find a rock song that you like and, you know, you listen to a thousand rock songs and nothing, you know, you enjoy it all. But until you find that one song, it's, it's just not going to be what you like.
1: Did you have depression?
0: Um, I've been diagnosed with a lot of things throughout my life. Um, I think at that point, it was just um, the family situation at home, the abuse that we were going through. Um, but I don't know if I would attribute it to depression. It was definitely a factor, but I don't know if that was the cause.
1: Did the suicidal feelings come from cutting in your experience or, or from the self-harming? D- did you draw blood? Were you, were you looking for blood? Did you see your own blood and see that as part of the release?
0: Um, I think eventually it became that. Um, but like I said, for me, it was more of a trance state. Um, it wasn't so much the act of causing self-harm. It was more of feeling that that release of, of not feeling for a while. Um, eventually, it did kind of become almost a competition in my mind where I wanted to do more than what I did because it made me feel stronger inside.
1: And you, you talked about it being you know, kind of your secret, your thing. Um, did none of your friends know? Did your friends ever catch it? You go swimming, they they see the cuts, anything like that?
0: They did not. I, I hid it for, you know, a good 10 years when nobody knew. and had no idea that it was going on other than myself. You know, on occasion, my parents would find, um, you know, a streak of blood in my pants, but that was not, you know, when you're a young child, that's kind of the norm that you have scrapes and bruises. So they never inquired or asked
1: and that's because you would have cuts on your your legs
0: yeah i was a leg cutter
1: Oh, okay you wrote to me as i as i as you and i were were talking back and forth uh, on facebook you wrote About how you would explain it to your kids, or because someone wrote, you know, what would your kids say, or some something like that, and you responded really eloquently. And so I just kind of want to ask the question again: Your kids see your cuts, your scars, and they say, "What are those scars from?" What what do you What do you tell your six year old and your two year old?
0: I do, and that's something I did not consider when I was doing it. What would happen? Of course. Um, And then once I chose to have kids, it was a very big fear of how I would tell them. Um, but now that they're old enough to know, you know, they, they have a very good understanding that their mommy is, is not well. You know, They know that my brain is, is sick and that I have to take medication to keep it strong. They know that mommy had a rough time when she was growing up um, and she made some decisions that weren't too good. And unfortunately, this was some of my bad decisions. I haven't had to come out forth and tell them it was because of this act that I did, because of this, because they are so young. But they do know you know that that you know when we go out that I am self-conscious of them still and they do know that it is part of me um but you know at the ages of three and six I think finding um the importance of, of letting them know now that it can happen and that people do get sad and people do get scared is of great importance because eventually it can benefit them
1: and if if you discovered as your kids are in junior high or high school, or maybe even younger, that uh, let's say your older son has, you you find some scratches on his wrist, you know, and a lot of times it just starts with scratching. How would you respond? And I, I guess, I guess before I ask that question is, would your fear, would your, would your, your pain of this experience, would it would it motivate you to respond or would you need to go for a walk, take a minute? Like how, how would you react to, to your kid cutting?
0: I think for me personally, I would want to address it, but I would want to address it more at his speed. Um, I know for me personally, it was, it was so pressed and so pushed that I chose to revert into my behaviors because I wanted to have control and that's not how it started. Um, So I, you know, I would sit down with him and say, Hey, you know, I noticed that you had some cuts. You know, can we talk about um, choices that we can make different to to overcome this? You know, like it wouldn't be how do you feel? Uh, why is this control? Why are you doing it so much as wanting to help him find alternatives and and giving him the choice to make the alternatives, not for me to say, you know, hold an ice cube, which is what I was told. Um, you know, and then I discovered ice and salt. And it was a whole other bag of chips. And right. for him, I want for him to be able to find something tangible to replace. Um, really whatever behavior he's having with that he's struggling with um, with something positive
1: what would be some of the things that you suggest as an alternative in hopes that he would embrace one of them
0: that's a good question what do you do? Um, I think now I uh, I think I think now for me it's more of a recovery period Um you know, I've, I've acknowledged that it's an issue. I've gone through therapy um, and that sort of thing. But at the time, when I was trying to overcome it, I had to remind myself that even though I didn't feel it, that I was important to somebody, you know, and even if that somebody was a bad person, you know, I still wasn't important. I was important enough to matter. And, you know, someday and, and seeing outside of that moment, which when you're cutting, you're in the moment, is, is. It's so difficult. But when you see outside of that moment, like when I finally decided not to cut anymore, it was the, the thought of someday I want to have kids. You know, and, and it wasn't just about me anymore. It was about the potential of these little beings, you know, becoming part of my, my illness. And I had to choose which was more important. And that almost sounds unfair because when you're in the moment, it's not a choice. But it is something that you can overcome.
1: What was, what was your process of overcoming it? Did you, did you end up in a treatment center? Was it just smaller units, therapy? Did you join a, a, a forum, an online group, a, a, a meeting rooms? How did, you, how did you break away from this?
0: <laughs> I went through it all. I've been in therapy for 25-plus years. I've been on medications for 20-plus years. Um, in the chat rooms, when I was out of a place of feeling – so dependent on it were great. But when I was in the moment, being in the chat rooms could be triggering because it, it almost becomes a competition. And, and again, that's not what it's intended when you're doing it, but it does. Um, and But for me, I think, I think the first step to overcoming it was to have the first glimpse of love. The first time that I ever felt that somebody actually cared about me for me and nothing else. None of my other flaws mattered, just the love
1: you said you did residential how long was your residential program for
0: i went through foster care i was there for seven or uh, excuse yeah seven years wow Um, i was in and out of an institution i I suppose if i were to combine the amount of times it was probably a good three years um and and like i said the therapy and the medications it's just it was a it wasn't an easy process it was not the snap of a finger and really, there's no clear-cut answer to um, to what made it better. I, I think it was a mixture of all of that, along with the people not giving up, of people being willing to understand that I didn't understand. Um, being that said, that's that's actually um, very close in, in in proximity to the the other statement that you know you find love, um, but to have somebody understand that you're. You're, you're confused and you're angry and you're hurt and that they tell you that's okay, that it's okay to feel that way is, is not so important.
1: You, you've, you've breached a topic that is very touchy for parents and very difficult and even professionals for, for even professionals who have been doing this stuff for years and years. Um, and that's a concept of choices you know, you said something like when you're in the moment, it's not a choice, you know, and that's hard for people who don't have the moment. I've had the moment. And I work with kids who have the moment. Um, and it's people who who don't suffer depression don't understand it. People who don't suffer from addiction don't understand it. Well, you could just make better choices. You should just stop. Just stop using. You know, Stop hurting yourself. And I'd love for it to be that simple. Um, and it's not, and the science behind or the science trying to figure out why it's not so simple, um, is just, we'd start arguing about the science. It's because of neurological. It's because of environmental. It's because of, you know, the substance itself. It's a, and at the end, we still miss the human aspect. And you've, you've broached that too with the, with love being a major part of repair, which I think is why divinity plays into people's recovery. So, how do you tell another parent? Let's say your, your, your kiddo's in, in middle school now and some other parent is, is looking for help with cutting and just saying, my kid's making these terrible choices and they're just harming themselves. How do you teach a parent that this is not a choice?
0: I think perhaps using an analogy of, you know, you run and you, you lose your breath, you know, and you're no, you know what's going to come. You know it's going to happen, and you chose to run, which is something that you needed to do. You know, much like feeling, you you have to feel. It's that's not a choice. You know, but then you run, and you run out of breath. And as you're out of breath, you're gasping to get it back. That's that's kind of the moment of cutting. You know, you're you're just you're out of control, and you you just want to get back under control. But you know, for the average person, you can't just catch breath. You have to take time. You have to get your heart rate slowed down you have to go through that process and if you don't go through that process it doesn't happen and i think that that's the same for cutters you know if we don't go through the process of of knowing how to calm ourselves down um it's not going to work people can tell you take a deep breath but you know that's that's not going to work because that's not um something that they are choosing to do for themselves yeah you breathe but you need to be able to to ground yourself using your own unique things, you know, be it uh, a yoga technique where you do take a deep breath or something, you know, as small as, is clenching your fist, you know, it's, it's, it's something that they've got to find for themselves, not something that can be taught.
1: That's, that's fantastic analogy. What were your triggers? What were the things that would send you into that over emotional stimulant cycle that made you start to look for relief from the discomfort?
0: I think mine was when I couldn't understand how I was feeling and I couldn't control the outcome of it when I would get scared and I would shut down and I, I uh, would become so sad, that it would overwhelm me. And I, I, didn't know how to, I didn't know how to deal with that. You know, I knew on the outside how to deal with it, but internally I was a, a wreck and, and there was nothing, nothing that I would do that would work. And that's why I really towards cutting because that, you know, I had control and a lot of people think that that's the sole purpose of cutting, but it's not. That's just a small glimmer of what it is.
1: You talked about isolation as well. Having two kids, isolation probably is not so much of an issue and maybe even something you look forward <laughs> to now.
0: Um, I, think, I think the misconception of isolation, though, is that you can be in a crowded room full of people, but how you feel inside is so very different. Brilliant. You know, I know that I still go through moments with the kids and I have, you know, I have a good husband and I have great kids and I have friends that support me, but you know, there's moments where I just feel so alone and so isolated and so desperate for, for connection. And, and I don't know how to ask that connection because it may not exist. It's already there. I just don't feel it.
1: And that's where the part that people who don't suffer this, lose the understanding when they say you've got this great husband and this good marriage and you've got these kids and you've got the support system of friends. How do you feel alone? Why is it that you feel alone? How do you describe that? How do you describe being alone in a, in a, in a busy room?
0: I think honestly at every point in someone's life, they have felt that way. But when you feel alone with um, depression or mental illness or trauma, it's, it's, it's the, not it's not having people around it's the feeling of connection you know i i can be very aware that people care about me but if i don't feel i'm worthy it doesn't exist at least not in my mind um it's very difficult to to communicate what you need because you don't know what it is i i I have um an anniversary date of a rape and i ask my friend every year if she can come over and she always asks how can i help and i i have no answer for her And she is here and she's very supportive. But when she leaves, I still feel so very alone. And there's no changing that. What I have to do now instead of feeling that isolation is make a choice on what I can do to improve it. I can't make myself feel better, but I can choose to allow myself to ask for help.
1: Do you really think your brain's broken or do you think you're a product of a broken environment?
0: You know, I used to blame it on my parents. Um, I used to blame it on my trauma. I blame a lot of it on my chemical imbalance. Um, But really, I don't think anything is, it doesn't belong to anything. Cutting is just simply a part of who you are. And it's not triggered by one thing. For any of the cutters that I've known. I unfortunately have known a lot of people that have cut. And for each person, it's different. For each person, it's unique. You know, I know that often I feel very broken um, and often I'm very angry at at my situation that I grew up in, but none of that had an overall effect on what I chose to do. I didn't do it because of that. I did it because I needed to.
1: Do you think cutting is addictive? Do you think you were addicted to it?
0: (laughs) Very much so. Um, You know, and it's, and like I was saying before, it's almost, it's almost a competition in your mind, you know, and and it's and it's a difficult and sad thing, but you know, you make a cut, and then you're like, huh, that's not very big. I can do better than that, you know, and so it, and so it becomes a competition in your mind. How deep can I get it? How big can it be? How much blood can I lose? You know, and then and then it is. It's an addiction. I can remember um, when I had made the decision not to cut anymore, crying and physically hurting because it's something. That was being taken away no different than somebody who smoked cigarettes you You went through withdrawal withdrawal. yeah yeah wow but it's yeah It's, it's not a good it's not a good feeling to lose something that's done you so well it's it's not you know addiction is is a great choice of word, but it's it's more of a part of who you are you know they people who are addicted to cigarettes you know they they make a choice to smoke, which is, you know, we make a choice to live. Um, but making a choice to quit, there's, there's no, uh, there's no balance in it.
1: Was there a time they, in your childhood, in your teens, where you should have been caught, where they should have noticed, where they did notice, but didn't take action to support or save you? Um, and I mean, when I say they, I'm talking about. Anybody, therapists, teachers, parents, you know, anybody, did they miss it? And what did they miss?
0: I think that they did miss it. And then once they were able to see it, um, they, they overreacted, um, and not to say that it wasn't bad. I mean, all of my cuts required stitches that I chose not to get, um, all of them were, were pretty severe. Um, but I didn't, I didn't want to. To be um, catered to. I wanted it to be my secret. And when they did notice it, they were angry. And I think that was a mistake on their part. They shouldn't have been angry. You know, like I said, it's something that I needed for me and uh, and they took that away, which made me angrier. How dare they take something away that made me feel better?
1: What are the signs that a parent should be looking for? if they If they're wondering, if maybe they've seen some blood, and they're like, that's just in the wrong place. Like, and and where where would you notice blood that's not a normal cut for a teenage girl or or where like like if i'm a parent and i am a parent but my kids are 21 and 22 now but as a parent how do you teach me what to look for
0: um i think with my boys i would start to uh, you know obviously notice any behavioral changes which is you know they tell you that but really if they're teenagers what is a behavioral change? whole well, life is a behavioral change. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the little things of, of of closing the door a little bit more, about being a little bit more isolated, of saying, you know, um, Joe Blow was going to go out with me, but, uh, you know, he shrugged me off. That's okay. He didn't like me anyway. It's kind of the, the self-worth starting to go down. Um, you know, small signs of depression, not the, the typical not eating, not sleeping, but, you know, the looking away, the not wanting the contact is very... I think a very important part because when you start to cut, you start to withdraw. Um, and as for physical science, I think that you have a very good point there. Uh, usually, um, you know, when people do cut, it's not in places that would make sense. You know, it's not going to be on their knees or their elbows, you know, and, and there's going to be a shape to it. And that's, um, I think one of the times I did get caught was because there was a shape. Um, and they knew that, you know, obviously that wasn't a scrape.
1: So, scrapes with shape, that's a good way to put it. You said the anger wasn't a good uh, re- reaction. Um, is there a good one? And, and uh, certainly, anything that any parenting tactic that comes from fear is not necessarily going to be a good one. But you, you, you realize your kid's been cutting on themselves. You're angry. You're scared. You, you might be terrified. You think they're suicidal. You're, you're, you're upset at yourself for missing things. Um, now they're in the hospital getting stitches. You don't know if you can afford the bill. What's, what's the reaction? How do, you, how do you do this your first time out of the gate, the first time your kid cuts? What do you do?
0: I think um, for me and, and for a lot of people that I know, the best thing would have been to have my parents realize that it wasn't their fault. And that wasn't about them. It was about me and what I mean is. And I, I think that, that parents become so trapped in, in wanting to protect and wanting to have their kids uh, want to have a good life that we forget how difficult it is to be a kid.
1: What do they, what have they told you about what's going on in your brain with regards to cutting, have they told you that they think it's a dopamine issue? Have they told you that it's a, you know, serotonin release, or a, like what? What have they told you?
0: Um, they haven't said anything corresponding with my mental health. Um, I do have some PTSD, and they say that you tend to act out with that. Um, but to to say that cutting is solely um, a mental health issue, is almost unfair. And to say that it is not a mental health issue is as is, is equally unfair because it's it's a, a number of things. There's no one thing that that causes it. There's no one thing that you can fix. You know, I would love to say, you know, when I was in fifteen that, you know, they can give me medication that would increase the level of something and make me not feel these feelings. But that's that's not realistic. That's not something that's gonna make it better.
1: But have have you ever had your neurotransmitters checks? Do you know if you're low on dopamine? I have no idea. <laughs> did it, did this lead to any other um, risky behavior, or were were you pretty much just focused on this cutting, secret control, hiding life, and everything else was painted a, a, a you know all roses?
0: You know, I had put myself. Um, into bad situations. I, I was, definitely very promiscuous. Um, I, I put myself in a situation that I knew, um, were not safe because I didn't care. Um, I also, I, I didn't take care of myself the way I should have because I didn't feel like I was worthy. And I think in, in certain ways when I started to give up the cutting, that was the same thing. Um, when I gave up the cutting, I became, um, Basically, an alcoholic. I I drank every night until I was sick, and I I drank every day until I was sick, and that was a replacement. Um, and then once I stopped that, I started exercising, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do something healthy. And then that became a problem because that was a replacement for an addiction. And I think, um, much like addiction recovery, can relate to, you know, you don't you don't just give something up. You got to give something to get something, and it's it's very hard to balance what a good thing is.
1: Do you, do you consider yourself a, an alcoholic in recovery or just kind of an all-around addict and cutting was just one of the things you used?
0: No, I, I have the two boys now, so if I drink once or twice a year, it's a miracle. Um, <laughs> but I, I think, and I, I guess it would depend on your definition of an addict. Um, I, I, I have to find something that makes me feel better and it's not always a negative thing you know now it's struggling with my voice which is something that i never imagined can make me feel the way it does you know i can go for a walk and and have that moment that that small moment where the wind blows and i i, I take a breath and, and, it, and it feels so good now i don't have to lean so much on that so i i you know i i guess am i still an addict in a sense you know i'm addicted to feeling better and really like, that's that's what i have to continue to do is to to have that
1: do you miss it do you do, do you miss the control and the and something that belongs totally to you and and that form of relief do you crave it
0: i do still um and i i had not cut for oh it's it's been a while um <laughs> and i still i still have my moments where i think you know oh well you know maybe if i sneak one in it wouldn't you know, it wouldn't be so bad, and I would get this out of it, and you know maybe if I did it over here they wouldn't notice, or maybe you know if i if I were to do something slightly different, nobody would care um, but it's it's a slippery slope because if you if you fall back on it, you tumble, and that's an experience that I had when I was trying to quit is is it's It's so overwhelming, it's so powerful, and even still. You know, there's moments where you know I'm, I'm like, you. Ha- I can't have this in the house. You have to get rid of this because if it's, it's here, I'm going to use it to hurt myself. And I don't have the same feelings of um, lack of self-worth. I, I don't have the same emotions that I had as a teenager. I feel very in touch with who I am now. But that urge, I don't think will ever go away.
1: Did you? And and this is this is important, I think, for parents to to. To know about when they're trying to figure out what's going on with their kid, did you ritualize the experience? Did you keep your paraphernalia, your cutting paraphernalia, in a special box in a special place, like someone would keep a pipe or, you know, a bottle of booze? Um, Did you have your favorite using spots, where, you know, in the in the bathroom with the door locked or something like that? Did you have rituals around this?
0: Um, I did not. Um, I, I, like I said, I was in a safety pin or a a paperclip cutter, Um, you know, and as as soon as I did it, um, even though I I felt a great sense of relief and almost a sense of power, I was ashamed. And I didn't want to have it around. I didn't want to see it, I didn't want to know about it. Um, I think the only time that I did kind of um, shrine it, if you will, was the first time I cut with a knife, and because it was such a different sensation, I felt so powerful. It didn't take care of what I needed to emotion emotionally, but it you you feel more powerful. And so, still to this day, you know, because I, I I took pictures of it, and and why I couldn't tell you, but I could still look back at that and remember that feeling, and and it and it helps me. It helps me to to have that to have those objects. You know, I, I took pictures of my scars when I first decided not to cut anymore. And they're, you know, angry red and, and bubbles. And, and that I did. But I never kept the utensils.
1: The addict cycle or the cycle of addiction, they say, starts with a trigger that equals pressure. And then there's a desire for relief. Then you search for, find, and possess an object to use and you hide it and then you find a location to use it and then you use it and experience relief and then you have what's called the guilt and purge and what I notice about that cycle is that they're talking about alcohol and that people looked at that and said well that's the same for drugs as I go through that, trigger and pressure, desire for relief, possess and hide, location for use, use and relief, and then guilt and purge, does that sound like a cutter's cycle?
0: Yeah, I think so. you know there's definitely variables here and there, but if I were to explain it to somebody else, I think that would be a very accurate way of explaining it.
1: What's the what's the missing piece of this, Krista? What is it that parents, teachers, clinicians need to understand about self-harming and and children? And as being being one who can look back on it now as a survivor of of self-harm, what 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 did we miss? What did we forget?
0: I think. If there's, there's nothing that you can do except reflect on who you were as a child and who you are when you have a difficult time and those emotions that run through you and, and kind of envisioning not having control and not knowing what to do with those and what your options would be. Um, and I think once you're able to kind of touch base with that in yourself, you can kind of start to begin to see how your, your child might feel. And I think it's very important as a, as a parent um, – in general to know and to remember we can't feel what they feel and we will not see what they see. You know, as much as I would like to say I understand you're angry, I have no idea what anger is to them. You know, as much as I would like to say, you know, just just let it go, you know, I have no idea where they're holding on to it. And I think until we're going to see that, it's it's not going to impact really the world. Um, I also think that there's this misconception on if I care about you, if I give you more love, if I'm able to do this, that you're going to be better. And from a Carter's standpoint, it's almost selfish of them to think that because it's not about them. It's about yourself. It's about you in the moment. And so if there's someone to help, I, I, I strongly believe that they have to set themselves aside because what they think, what they assess what they see isn't what I feel.
1: Folks, I know if you, if your kid's cutting and you're you're experiencing this, or maybe you've had one or two trips to the hospital and then even have ended up in the adolescent, you know, psychiatric unit or something, this one this one can throw you. This this is a this is a tough one. You know, ooh, protecting your child has been a big part of your life. Um, and now you have to figure out how to protect your child from themselves. And I think a lot of what Krista said today is really important to, to continue to recognize that they're not doing it because of you. They're doing it because of them. And this may not be something that you can actually help them with because you're not able to feel what they're feeling. You can't see life on their terms. You can only see life on life's terms or life on your terms, but you can't see it on yours, especially if they're a child in crisis. So continue to find support resources, continue to find groups, continue to find other podcasts and other experts who are talking about this issue. Really educate yourself on this. This Cutting Free series, I want to get a lot of guests on, the professionals, the people who found their way through, because here we have someone who's cut as a child and now they're a mother of children. And I think Krista really was extremely eloquent in what she's going through. Um, she's got a lot of tools to work with she's got a lot of ability to self-reflect and understand and make sure that you're doing that before you try to connect with your kids on this one make sure you're fully present with what's going on for you about your child harming themselves and as always you have to take care of yourself first and you take care of your adult relationship second and you take care of your children third because in that way we do our best work for our children Thanks for listening. We'll talk again next week. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Join us each week for your connection to experts in adolescent health and wellness, recovery, and responsibility. And also to listen to teens talk about their lives in crisis. For more information on our program for struggling teens or me, please go to firemountainprograms.com Join us on Facebook at Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center or at Beyond Risk and Back. Visit our YouTube channel at Fire Mountain RTC for even more support with our parent training videos special thanks to mental health news radio for their continued love and support of our program please go to mentalhealthnewsradio.com to see all of their podcasts feel free to email me at aaron at Programs.com.